at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to attempt number two of episode 109 of the It's About the Money podcast. My name is EJ Fagan and tonight I'm joined by Scott Moss. Hey EJ, how you doing? I'm doing great. This was, uh, was going to be a great podcast last night and then we, uh, we, we had a, a big audio file corrupted and we were not able to put it out there. I said on Twitter that there was going to be no episode and then Scott rode to the rescue about 15 minutes ago and said, hey, I can record right now. So we are doing a short podcast to preview the Yankees-Indian series. Scott, how are you feeling about the series? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling a lot better now that the Indians decided that, although they have the best pitcher in baseball, they don't want him to throw game one. I don't... Okay, so Trevor Bauer is throwing game one. <laughs> yeah. Corey Kluber is throwing game two. Carlos Carrasco is throwing game three. Josh Tomlin is throwing game four. And then Kluber would conceivably come back for five. So why do you think the Indians are going with this very odd ro- like rotation decision, like mashup? Well, Francona was pretty blunt about it in saying that Kluber really, really wants to stay on his five-day schedule, which, if anything, is blunter than a manager normally would be. Normally, you'd just get, well, he went with the best alignment of folks, and Bauer's terrific, and it has the plus of keeping Kluber on schedule. I feel like Francona went out on a limb to more bluntly say, Kluber's making me do this. He's a big baby who wants to be on his five <laughs> days rest. Don't blame me. I just work here. I'm the manager. I'm not really in control of the team. That was just me reading yeah. between the lines, but I think it's a good guess. Yeah, and, you know, Kluber is, I mean, Francona is pretty frank about his management decisions, so I, I buy it. Like, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, the weird thing is that there's rain in the forecast on Friday night in Cleveland. I know. So if there's rain and it gets rained out, then Kluber would start Saturday, and then he wouldn't be able to start Game 5 on regular rest. He would be a day short. I know. There that's, is. A, that's a risk. And I looked at Kluber's stats for the last several years about how he does on this rest or that rest. So in 2017, uh, this year, yes, Kluber was better on four days rest than on five days rest, that is on his usual rest. He had a 167 ERA on his normal rest, 364 on five days rest. But then again, on six days rest, he had not too many starts, but he did 248 ERA. So some evidence he's better. 167 ERA is the best he had on his four days rest. But in 2016, he was better on five days rest than four days rest and better on six days rest than five days rest. And then in 2015, he basically was the same on four, five, six days rest. So sometimes I, on the one hand, I get that pitchers are creatures of habit and they think they'll be better on their usual routine. On the other hand, I also see that managers look at stats and sometimes overthink it. You'll see, I forget which playoffs manager in the wildcard game said, well, this guy hits really well against that guy. And it was in something like 11 at bats. So you can overthink a small sample size. I feel like sometimes managers are 
going by statistics, but doing it badly because yes, Kluber's better this year on his normal rest, but he's not usually better in the past couple of years. And you're just depriving yourself of game one of your best pitcher and creating a chance you could lose in games three or four of the whole series. And speaking of overthinking management, starting pitching decisions, we're going to talk about Masahiro Tanaka game three uh, later in this podcast. Um, I, I think the I, look, I'm happy to see Trevor Bauer in game one. Trevor Bauer is not as good as Sonny Gray. Um, one of the theories that, and then CeCe Sabathia is pitching game two instead of Masahiro Tanaka. One of the theories that uh, Andy presented in the episode that will never air is that the Yankees are essentially, they're putting Sabathia there, not because he's, they're punting game two, but they are, they are de-emphasizing game two. And they're going to try to win game one, three, and four when they don't have Corey Kluber on the mound. Uh, do you think that's the case? And if it is the case, what do you think is that? Uh, think of that strategy. It's interesting. I have to think harder about it. I mean, what I'm still stuck on is that game two, if it's rained out, means that there will be one fewer day between games two and five. And just thinking this through out loud. So if everything stays on schedule, game two and game five can have the same guy in normal rest. Is that right? Uh, correct. Yes. So, if you de- if de- game two gets delayed, then I might want to go with someone who could possibly pitch on three days rest. And CC, I wouldn't throw on three days rest given the the age, the knee, the weight, whatever else. So I'm not sure I love it, but I'm not sure Tanaka could have gone on short rest either. Yeah, you know, I, I um, I I think that. I think Tanaka is really good, and I don't really think there's that big of a difference between you know like your winning percentage when Tanaka is starting versus when yeah. Sabathia is starting. Um, and and you know the Yankees have now on their roster two you know recent left-handed starting pitchers in Jaime Garcia and Jordan Montgomery to kind of play that out of the bullpen role. So I'm not really too concerned about that that kind of rest question. Um, and maybe Sonny Gray does better with the extra day. Like maybe that's another another little part of it. Um, but I'd like to move on because we're out of time. By the way, if there is any sound in the background, you can hear that is my fault. Again, we are recording this in a very odd setting. I am on the quad of the University of Texas at a picnic table next to a construction zone. <laughs> so sorry about that. <laughs> um, uh, recording with a borrowed microphone. Um, so Luis Severino obviously had a bad night. Um, the story I told last night, I'll tell again briefly, is that Luis Severino uh, he allows three runs in the first inning. He leaves after after one out. You all saw that. Uh, you did not see my girlfriend, who had elected not to be nearby, caught wind of this. And when she saw what happened in the first inning, she uh, ordered me. There's this um, cookie delivery service in Austin <laughs> where she ordered me a box of fresh baked cookies because <laughs> she thought I would need them. Um, I did not need them. The Yankees were winning by the time they arrived, uh, but it was a very nice gesture. And had they lost, I would have eaten the entire dozen cookies. <laughs> Um, the, uh, Luis Severino had pitched 29 pitches on, uh, uh, on what Tuesday night. Yeah. When should he start? Should he start? Should he start game two? It's a good question. I mean, I'm a little agnostic about how a starter can come back or how soon he can come back after short rest. On the one hand, it was like a bullpen day for him. It's his throw day because he didn't throw that many pitches. On the other hand, he did do his whole warm up routine and, he was throwing gas for the time he was out there. It was 30 pitches, and a lot of them were 100 miles an hour. So I suspect that's more tiring than his throw day. So I wouldn't assume he can come back three days later or whatever it is. So I might say, yeah, give him 
the full breather, treat it like a start and don't start him too soon. So, but I honestly, I would, well, when is game three, by the way? So it's Thursday, Friday, it's Sunday, right? Yes. I would throw him in game three. I know they're not gonna, but look, he's still Luis Severino. It would be a huge mistake to change your assessment of Luis Severino based on this. The only way a playoff game would change my assessment of him would be if he did I don't know if you remember this, Rick and Keel's first disastrous playoff appearance after his rookie season where <laughs> he threw about eight wild pitches because then you think, okay, something could be seriously wrong with this guy. Severino was bad and it was bad command, but he wasn't unable to find the strike zone. He was either too keyed up or trying too hard to be perfect because the breaking pitches were up. Um, maybe the fastball, some of them were up, but some were low, but you can get away with misplacing the 9900 mile an hour fastball, but he wasn't getting away with the other stuff. So I didn't see anything irreparable. I'm not of the school of thought that he has a fragile psyche and now we have to never pitch him again or make him the fourth or fifth starter. Because after all, if you want him to be able to pitch in the future and have confidence, you don't want to convey to him, we're making you our eighth starter. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. And, you know, it's not like he didn't overnight lose his ability. Like, Rick Ankeel is the right. exception. Like, that doesn't really happen. I think it's perfectly plausible that he's, a, he's a, a young player who was excited for his first game, his first playoff game. And because he's, you know, he's so strong, he overthrew the ball and had no control. You know, this, that yeah. makes sense. He's not, it's not going to last forever, right? I mean, we've all been there, right? You, you get pumped up for, for something that's, that's new and different, and then you, you settle down. And I think he would have settled down. And in a normal game... Even like a normal playoff game, Girardi might have given him a chance to settle down. But because it was a one-game playoff, Girardi made the smart decision not to do Yeah, that. and I saw the same exact thing. It was eerie in the Rockies-Diamondbacks game last night where John Gray had the same exact thing happen to him. It was um, the home run he gave up was on a curveball that ended about chest high to Paul Goldschmidt. And when you do that, it will go about 450 feet. But it was the same thing. He's a similar pitcher to Severino. It was a fastball slider. His third pitch is more of a curve. Is a curve these days, not a changeup anymore. But... Similar in a big, strong guy can get keyed up. I'm not normally a believer that playoff experience is a huge deal or that guys can get psyched up or out or there are more big game players than others. But the one exception, honestly, is that a pitcher, I think, can maybe dial up an extra one or two miles an hour. Every now and then you'll see some reliever start throwing 99 who only threw 96 in the regular season. Or, you know, the Rockies had Carlos Estevez throwing 101 last night. I don't think I saw him above... 98 too much during the regular season. So you can get keyed up, and that means you lose a little fastball command, but probably get away with it. But it can be devastatingly bad for your off-speed and breaking pitches, which is what happened to Severino. So all to say, I think it's a really fixable, slight um, problem he had that had obviously horrible results, but I don't think you give up on the guy. And I think a week ago you thought he was a better pitcher than Tanaka. I think he still is. Yeah, and, you know, and the, you know, this is a four-starter series. So, you know, you're talking about starting Jordan Montgomery or Jaime Garcia, who are both suspiciously on this roster, uh, if, if Severino's not ready. And that's just a huge step down, right? Severino was like the third or fourth best player in the league. I would love to have Severino go up, go up against Kluber. Um, and, you know, it just it doesn't make any sense to, to forego that because of, because of one start. One start can happen. Um, you know, I hope that at that point the Yankees still have a loaded bullpen. So on Friday, Chad Green and uh, tonight, Chad Green and David Robertson, uh, I'm sorry, Thursday night, will not be on, in the game. So they, they are not available for this game. They both threw too many pitches in that, like, wonderful heroic performance, especially by Robertson, and they're out. And so you need Sonny Gray to go deep. But if they're available, like, say, game three after an off day, 
I think it just it just makes sense to have Severino out there. And worst case scenario, you do what you did in the in the playoff game. Yeah, agree. And I I don't think it makes that much different whether Severino starts game three or game four. The because after all, whoever starts three or four starts only once the series. I would have preferred game three, Severino game four, Tanaka only because the only way it matters is if the Yankees happen to be down 0-2, then I'd really rather have the possibly last and final game pitched by Severino than Tanaka, but odds are fairly low. That's the situation, hopefully. All right, Scott, 538 is giving the Yankees a 33% chance to win this series. Is that high or is that low in your opinion? That strikes me as really low in the same way that I thought that the Yankees having a 63% chance against the Twins struck me as about right, even though the Yankees were much better than the Twins. But yeah, the Twins have a 37% chance. Sure, that's one game. Anything can happen. Now, this is five games, not one game, but I don't know whether they're taking into account that the Indians are creating a very, very high chance that Corey Kluber, who I assume is baked into their projections, does not get to pitch two games because Corey Kluber does not get to pitch two games if either of these things happen. A, a postponement of game two by day, or B, it becomes a four-game series. If you add those two probabilities, there's a decent chance. So I'm not sure whether 580 is considering that, yes, the Indians in a five-game series are, first of all, they're just a good team, but... You especially fear in a five-game series the team with the best starter in base in the league by a fair bit, which is Kluber, but they're not using him optimally. And maybe, even if I'm wrong, it's understandable that Francona has to do this. Kluber was saying, this year I haven't fell right on day four. I'm getting older and I need the recovery time. Maybe Kluber's right and Francona's right, but it definitely means the Indians aren't as fearsome as you would have thought. Uh, here's my theory of the Indians. So the Indians were no doubt the best team in the American League this season. Uh, they had a 20 game, 20 plus game winning streak. Uh, they have by war the best pitching staff of all time, right? So they're clearly a very good team. I don't think there's that much difference between them and the Yankees, especially in the playoffs. Here's why. If you look at the Indians roster, one of the reasons why they were so good by war and why they won so many games is that they, they had no bad players, like anywhere. So, like, their bench was loaded with guys who were all way, well above replacement level. Their bullpen was loaded with guys with, like, a 3.2 ERA. Um, but when you actually shorten up that bench and you, you, you play just the, you know, 18 or 19 guys who are going to receive the bulk of the playing time in the playoffs, you know, it, it's, it's like Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and, like, a bunch of players who are just worse than their Yankee counterparts. Um, and the Yankees have Heron Judge, you know, through all this, and they have... Luis Severino, hopefully, and Sonny Gray. And like they, they can compete at the top end, and I think they're better at the low end. And it's the players that aren't going to be receiving much playing time, like the, the difference between Roberto Perez and Austin Romine, that were really the margin over the regular season. And so I think, I don't know how 538 calculates those numbers. I wouldn't be shocked if it's just like regular season statistics averaged over five games or something like that, or with, with the starting pitcher thrown in. Um, but I, I'd pick the Yankees higher than that. I think the, you know, the Indians have an edge. They're clearly a better team, but I still I think agree. it's by that After much. all, the Indians had a 630 winning percentage. That's terrific. The Yankees had a 562 winning percentage. Okay, so the Indians won 6.8% more of their games than the Yankees. There's actually not that much, which is to say that in any playoff, anything can happen because you're talking about two teams that are pretty darn good and pretty darn similar. They're exceptions. My favorite... Silly exception was the 1987 World Series, 
where the Twins won, even though the Twins were an 85-win team. It was basically like this year's Twins winning the World Series. Um, and they, they beat the Cardinals, who were a 95-win team. So that was a big difference. Uh, but it shows anything can happen. But, and I don't even mean anything really unlikely can happen. I mean that you have two really good teams. The better team is handicapping itself by not having its number, clearly number one starter um, used maximally. So I'd say, yeah, no, no, I don't I don't have probability numbers I've run or anything. But if I did just spitball, I'd say 55-45. 55% chance the Indians win, 45 Yankees. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much there too. Um, yeah, I, I think the uh, and, and, you know that's not really that big of a difference between 60, 66, 33 in the grand scheme of things. But um, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if either team wins it. I think it's really just the only really way to say it. There's no way to be all that precise about your probabilities. Uh, I'm going to ask for a prediction, Scott. So now that we we've laid out the probabilities, what are you going to predict? Give me a uh, number of games, a series, a season winner, or the series winner, and one memorable moment that happens. Along um, the way. So I'm going to, even though we just said 55-45 Indians, I'm not going to go there. I'm going <laughs> to say the Yankees win in five. And one interesting thing about the Indians, too, is that all their starters are righties. And they have Andrew Miller, of course, but they have a pretty righty-heavy bullpen, too. So what I – and, you know, the Yankees, I think, have the, you know, power on both sides. So I'm going to say that the hero is going to be Greg Bird. Um, I've always, you know, and that's just, I'm just, he's a lefty. <laughs> he has, a, you know, maybe a decent split, but I've always liked him and he's looked good the past month. And I think that because he had such a lost season, I think it would just jump out at you when, if he hits a home run. So I'm going to predict him to be the big hero, just clobbering some right-handed pitching. So I'm not going to predict the Yankees to win, to lose. So I'm going to say Yankees in four, because I do think game five is scary going up against Corey Kluber. Um, though, the Yankee bullpen can probably get rid of most of that edge. There's still like a clear edge there and it scares the crap out of me. Um, and so I'm going to say Yankees win it in four. Uh, and I'll say that the, uh, the key moment uh, that I'm going to predict is I'm going to predict, let's say Aaron judge hits a five home, five home <laughs> run off of Trevor Bauer uh, in the first inning <laughs> tonight. Um, that's my key prediction. Uh, thank you, Scott, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. I'm sorry for the background noise and the weird timing and the shortness of this podcast. That was all just a, the fault of a technical issue. We will be back next week, probably after the series is over, though maybe if there's a game five. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.